This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to visit with Dr. Anuj Mehta. Dr. Mehta is the Chief Medical Officer at Carewell Health. He's going to talk to us about Carewell Health. He's also a Columbia University person, a, a, a Columbia Business School person, brilliant, brilliant leader. Uh, Dr. Mehta, can you take a moment? Tell us about yourself. Tell us about Carewell Health. Why don't we start there? Then we'll talk about some of the trends you're watching and a lot more. All right. Uh, first of all, thank you, uh, Mr. Becker, for having me over. Um, yes, uh, I've been a hospitalist by trade. I started my med medical journey in 2006. I uh, did my residency in the Bronx, which is an urban inner city environment. Graduated there, started work as a hospitalist, worked my way up to being a director of the program, followed by uh, joining here at Careville Health. Uh, and I've been here as a chief medical officer for the past five years. Um, Carewell Health is a 200-bed uh, facility located in East Orange, New Jersey, uh, which is the seventh biggest city in the state of New Jersey. Um, the demographic uh, is uh, predominantly urban, uh, poor socioeconomic strata, and um, with a host a litany of uh, both uh, medical as well as resource issues. Here at Carewell, however, we believe in two main uh, goals. One is the quality of care that we provide to our patients and the experience that the patients have with us. About a year ago, we transitioned from Prospect Medical Holdings, which is a for-profit uh, national chain, and we transitioned and became a sole proprietorship under the ownership of Mr. Ben Klein, who is a local native New Jerseyan. I mean, fascinating. So is Carewell Health an independent single hospital system today? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the rare things about us is that we are a standalone facility in the state of New Jersey uh, and one of the rarities in the whole country. And talk about that today as a single standalone hospital. What's, what's some of the pros and cons? I mean, easier to be very close to things, but not some of the resources of a major, major health system. Some of these health systems, they have $30 billion in revenues. Talk mm -hmm. about, you know, living and thriving and, and striving as a single standalone hospital today. So uh, one word to say is that it's unique, right? So being a standalone facility has its own challenges, right? Because the regulatory environment has not changed and the quality requirements have not changed. So you have to have a lot of investments in the regulatory and quality requirements, which puts a lot of burden on the standalone facility. The cons, uh, the predominant con is our inability to punch up our weight because of just the way the system has been set up. So we may be one of the most uh, economic providers of care in the state. However, most insurance companies uh, have us at um, under market rates. And that has been a challenge to get them to the negotiating table and have preferable rates with them. And that that is one aspect of it. The other thing is just but economies of scale does not happen when you're a standalone facility. So the pressures on making sure that you meet your budget to make sure that you balance your budget is pretty significant. On the pro side, we are really nimble to decision-making. Uh, there is a small group of us, uh, we get together. Uh, the decisions are either looked at and reviewed very quickly and uh, implemented in short order. So that allows us to fall fast, fall, uh, uh, but get up quickly and uh, change course depending upon how we find it. So so fascinating. So on one hand, 
market power in dealing with major payers, challenging the major payers have gotten so strong throughout the country, throughout the nation. The, the other hand, a lot of nimbleness and the ability to take care of patients, to take care of objectives, to try things, to do things, because relatively not, not, not like turning the Titanic, turning a much yeah. smaller ship, much easier to be able to manage and look at things. When you look at this year, what are you most focused on and excited about this year, Dr. Mehta? So the most exciting thing right now, I, I I am looking forward to see how CMS levels a playing field with some of the Medicare Advantage plans. There has been a lot of chatter about uh, unnecessary um, um, denials or unnecessary pre-authorization processes, and I want to see how Medicare kind of le levels that playing field. The other thing that I'm really looking forward to is seeing how this growth of provider groups pharmacies and private equity happens right like it just got announced this morning or last night that oak street is going to be acquired by cvs and this comes follows very closely on summit health being purchased by village md which was also a part owned by both walgreens and part owned by cigna so all these horizontal and vertical integrations whether this brings more economies of scale or whether this ends up being a rehash of the HMO moment where they all came together and then they fell all apart. So it'll be very interesting to see, and I'm really excited to see how it develops further because this allows physicians to be in charge of care delivery models and care delivery, and it, it may help um, more towards branching out into population health, which I think is still the way to go. The other thing that I am really looking forward to is, you know, we've all heard about the stress of the pandemic and uh, how uh, this has led to an inordinate amount of burnout. But what I'm seeing, especially this year, is being the plateauing of that stress and plateauing of the burnout. And now the big focus is going to be on how to get our providers re-engaged, right? We cannot build a successful future on temporary labor. We have to start refocusing on getting people who are invested in not only the organization, but also in the community that we serve. Brand loyalty, facility loyalty, and community loyalty has to be a focus for all organizations. And it we have to find a way to make it part of our culture. It can no longer be a sound bite that we care about the community and not do anything about it. We have to move beyond the poster, move beyond the uh, hashtags or the sound bites and actually deliver care, not just to our providers and take care of their providers, but also of the community. And I think that may come back into focus in this year. And I'm really excited about that. Thank you. You, you talk about two or three big, big shifts. The first is the things like Oak Street Health being bought by CVS, sort of that further consolidation of power amongst the CVSs of the world and so forth. And, and then you also talk about so much in medicine the last few years has moved towards shift work, travel workers, and so forth. And while there's an important place for that, because people need that for their own lifestyles, that shift work, mm -hmm. more and more, when, when people are really engaged in one operation, what, such as Carewell Health, a 200-bed hospital, a single hospital, you, you could be much closer to the community, but it's hard to do that if, if labor is constantly turning over. You do need some sort of like um, – so, some some tying in, some closer tying in, some stability in the workforce to really deliver the care and the community experience, things you mentioned, the patient experience, the quality of care that you want to deliver, and, and hopefully a movement back towards a little bit more of that stability in the workforce. Yeah, we need that stability, right? Because, and again, this labor stabilization 
you've got to balance it out also with the flexibility that was granted out. So we can talk about the clinical workforce shortage, but also there's a paraclinical workforce, which helps support the clinical workforce that was given a lot of flexibility during the pandemic. And now they're trying to bring some structure and we will have to balance it out. We cannot can no longer go to the waves of the past. We have to move forward into figuring out how do we bring, bring that flexibility in. But just to talk a little bit about the temporary job market, right? It has expanded, it has exploded, and it does not seem to be going away. This is a huge stressor for most hospital budgets and for most provider group budgets. And unless this is brought under some sort of control, people or hospitals with razor thin margins are going to see deeper into the red. When, so. And you see that and you see hospitals also mm-hmm. working hard on the flip side to try and solve that through, I see like, you know, in some places, nurse and staffing robots automating whatever can be automated just as sort of a, you know, is a, by necessity being forced to move in that direction because there's not enough employees to take care of things. So trying to figure out how you hit this, this, this issue of, having enough labor and looking for ways to supplement labor in ways that work. Yeah. And your point on the flexibility of the workforce, every clinician depends on a lot of non-clinicians. And if there's constant turnover in that, it just makes life so much more stressful and so much more challenging. So trying to find ways to bring more stability to that as well and, and, and real challenges. I mean, in, in some ways, easier to manage in a 200-bed hospital in some ways harder, easier to manage because you really have a handle around your own workforce, harder because budgets are limited. There's only so much yes. money you could pay to, to keep people, to keep people happy, to keep people working without blowing through budgets, without putting yourselves in, in, in a real challenge, whereas a major health system might have more capital available, other ways to get capital and so forth. So pluses and minuses to being a smaller mid-sized system. That is absolutely 100% true, right? The stressor of that, we have to balance the budget somehow. There is no godfather who is throwing money at us. And so at that particular point in time, you have to figure out how do you balance the labor, increasing labor costs with efficiencies or true cost reductions in other areas. And so we constantly, constantly keep reevaluating that. Um, and we can only go so far up with permanent price raises because then it becomes unsustainable. So we can draw Peter to pay Paul only so much and then it becomes a dysfunctional system again. So it is something that we need to focus as a community, as a healthcare community, and also at a government level because current rates are not able to sustain the labor demands. Right, and you end up either in a situation where where people try and integrate enough technology and to make labor the need for the workforce a little bit smaller, but not and obviously not a total solution because people still need people to take care of them, yes. not just not just tech and robots and so forth. And then also That's finding ways to expand expand that pipeline of of employees, of of nurses, of doctors, of everything to expand that pipeline because right now it's very daunting. Three hundred thirty million people, growing country, aging country. And not not a big enough workforce to take care of it. Yes, that's hundred. That is again true. Now, there's an interesting thing that you did say: technology, right? The use of technology in hospitals is going to go up. However, technology still is rudimentary, and it still requires manpower behind it. A perfect example is a, a patient monitoring system. You still need a couple of people to monitor that on an ongoing basis for a small hospital like. 
a 200 bed hospital this system may not be as cost efficient because you price in the price of the technology plus the labor needed to maintain it and it equates to having just going out into the open market and searching for labor uh, labor personnel and seeing whether that is going to be cost equivalent the other thing that we have focused on doing is upskilling right so we have upskilled some labor products and we've bring brought back stuff which has been in the done in the past like lpns licensed practice nurses and having them work to the top of their license so that the nurses can actually focus on more clinical tasks and also more critical thinking tasks and that may seem very rudimentary or basic but that has actually now moved from a person model to a care team model <clears throat> so you will have a patient care technician, a licensed practice nurse, and a registered nurse working together to take care of a patient and meet the different needs of the patient. It also helps with some patient engagement because now instead of having one touch point or two touch point, you have three people who are actively taking care of you. So it does help with that as well. And, and that, that concept of team-based care and being able to balance out the needs of the patient with the needs of the team. So, so one provider is not so um, overwhelmed by the patient needs and having this mix of approaches, team approach, so important, isn't it, to maintaining energy and, and balance and the right approach? Absolutely. I mean, working alone leads to more burnout and more frustration when things don't work and having a team-based approach obviously helps. Again, can't build this on temporary workforce. You need the permanent workforce for that. No, and let's hope that we're able to move back towards that more and more. Dr. Mehta, I want to thank you again for joining us. It's always a pleasure to visit with you. What a fascinating perspective. And, and thank you so much for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thank you Thank you, very you much. so much for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.